You're listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. I'm Dee Clark, and this is Cortez Currents, which you can also access in text form at cortezcurrents.ca. And today we present part two of a conversation with Mark Vanesh, Regional Director for Area B as of the October 2022 election. In part one yesterday, we touched on the sore subject of housing on Cortez Island. In part two today, we'll dig more deeply into the urgent issues of housing and homelessness and what Mark sees as possible, practical responses. So, Mark, uh, earlier this fall, I wrote an article for Currents about a new approach to the problem of homelessness called Housing First. It started in Finland, but is now a worldwide movement. And the basic idea is that a lot of problems homeless people experience are actually because they're homeless. And so giving them secure housing first is the best, most cost-effective way to help them get their lives back together. In three towns on Vancouver Island, the mayors have taken a similar approach, uh, perhaps inspired by Housing First. They've built quick, low-cost housing for the homeless. In Victoria, the city managed to build 30 units for half a million dollars using converted shipping containers. So what do you think about this approach to homelessness, um, moving swiftly at low cost to build secure shelter for people, rather than requiring them to progress through a kind of rehab process and prove themselves worthy before they can ever have a roof over their heads. I think, you know, the challenge when we look at housing is there's a sense that, oh, maybe we need to, like, build these incredible proper... Like uh, middle-class suburban homes? Yeah. Housing does not have to be super expensive. And there are examples of places in British Columbia that have addressed housing for the most vulnerable in their communities by by looking at options that are extremely cheap. What you're referring to, they're like $15,000 that end up being per per unit. They did 30 units, which is obviously way more than Cortez would need. So maybe wouldn't be able to get that same kind of price. But it shows you that, you know, you can get a very small 10 by 10 size space with a bed and heat and a place to make simple meals. And that transforms someone's life. And something that you, you referred to in that previous article and something that I learned during my time with uh, working with Gregor Robertson in, in the city of Vancouver and thinking about housing was that it is cheaper to house someone and to provide the services around them that they need than it is on the healthcare system, the justice system, police, ambulance. And I think that's one of the, the things that is making housing sort of an issue that everybody really cares about and that it makes sense to, for us to address housing and to move forward with progress because it's good for everybody. If you live in a community where most people have housing and people have stable housing, you're going to have a better workforce. You're going to have more successful businesses. You're going to have less crime. You're, you're going to be in a community that you want to be in. It makes sense to me, and the, you know the studies have been done that it, that it does make economic sense, which I think is a good argument. I had a conversation with BC Housing last week about this sort of thing, tiny houses, and like alternative ways to address housing quickly and, and reasonably cheaply. And one of the things they said is like, yeah, okay, so you find a piece of land and you get some cheap housing on it. BC Housing can't get involved unless there's all these other services that happen around it. 
my question to him was like, look, these services are needed regardless of whether someone has housing. If so, you know, if there's addictions issues, if there's mental health issues, those things are there, whether that person has housing and at the very least, let's get them into the housing. Yes. It'd be really nice to have all these services around them, but we have, you know, sort of 10 people at least on Cortez that are living rough, living in tents, living in sheds, living under tarps. Like this is a reality on Cortez and it, it's sad. It breaks my heart. And, and, you know, I, I really think that there's an argument to be made that when everyone has housing, our community is better, our community is stronger. And that's one of the reasons I'm really passionate about the issue. Well, as I'm sure you know, conventional zoning laws place a lot of barriers in the way of building a tiny house cluster, a tiny house village, um, a, a village of container homes. So how did the mayors of Victoria and Duncan and Port Alberni manage to get passed their own zoning laws. Do you, do you have any idea? Yeah, they, they adjusted the zoning so that it could work, really. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of the housing challenges, specifically around Tiny House Park, is the, the red tape around insurance and zoning and code. You make a tiny house park where people can bring their tiny house and have a pad. You know, if you're a government agency making this happen or you're a nonprofit making this happen, you're responsible for the insurance for these places. And these places can't get insurance. So there's got to be a shift in, in, in the system and the way that we're doing it. Uh, and some communities have been able to do that. And I'm really excited about David Eby being our new premier. He's, he's spoken really strongly on housing. And I'm expecting there's going to be a real concerted effort to support communities in addressing the, the challenges that they have. And, you know, starting a new housing ministry. First time in, in BC history, we have a, a minister who's responsible for housing. And it isn't, it isn't in someone else's portfolio. We have someone who's really focused there. And I think that shows the urgency to the issue and the political will within the province in general that, that people want housing addressed and they want, they want to find solutions. So on that topic of the difficulty of establishing a tiny house cluster or a tiny house village as, as a thing, how do you feel about our own zoning bylaw here on Cortez and is it on your to-do list to revisit the OCP, to revisit the bylaw process? Because the bylaw, as it stands, it does make it pretty difficult to undertake a tiny house cluster. Yeah, I think we need to look at what the needs of the community are and match those needs to the zoning to make it possible. And we have to look at ways to, to open up our zoning rethink the way that we're doing things so that we have space for, you know, really starting with the people that are already here. 159 people on Cortez are in unstable housing. And this could be because it doesn't have running water or it doesn't have heat or they don't know if they have it past six months or they know that every June they're going to have to move out. 159 people in a population of 1,200 are living in unstable housing. This isn't just an issue of folks that are living under tarps and five to 10 people that we have on Cortez that are living rough. This is about families. This is about professionals. This is about our economy. And I'm confident there's a political will to, to make some changes and to look into these things. As far as the OCP goes specifically, you know, I initially thought let's get a new OCP and having speak to some of my colleagues at the regional district and understanding that process better. One, it's super expensive, you know, $60,000, $80,000 to do it. Um, two, it's it would be a huge long process that involves a lot more than I think we need to address immediately. So I'm interested in looking at the OCP and visiting parts of it and revisiting parts of it and adjusting things and, and you know, finding out where the political will in the community is to, to make things happen. So it sounds like you feel that picking away at the zoning bylaw in specific areas is more doable than trying to do a huge bottom-up rewrite uh, like we tried to do over a period of, uh, what was it, 10 years? 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a case to be made to do that. I haven't, I'm not convinced yet, but uh, you know, I think the easiest, the most effective, the, the most cost-effective way and the most time-wise prudent is to you know, look at very specific things that we can do. The Cortez Housing Society's Rainbow Ridge project is um, very popular, very well supported. I think most of the community is enthusiastic about it. But I know for me and some other folks I've spoken to, it seems to be moving really, really slowly. It seems like the escalation of our housing emergency is happening faster than our affordable housing project. Do you think there's anything we can do to move a little faster? One of the things I discovered early is that it's not, there's not one thing that's going to fix housing. And, you know, we're probably never going to be able to fix housing, but to make progress on it, we're going to have to tackle it in multiple ways. And one is getting Rainbow Ridge built. Yes, you know, this could be five, 10 years to get this thing built. It's frustratingly slow for a lot of folks, but it's the reality of, of building nonprofit housing and using government money to do that. What I'm excited about Rainbow Ridge is that it's got a team that's already done a $4 million project getting the seniors village built and the public donations. I think they've raised like 1.6 million already. They've got the land, they've got the zoning, they've got plans now and, and you know, we've got a really strong team that's going to make that happen. It's not going to happen overnight. So that's one of the things we need to do that's sort of, you know, medium longer term for housing on Cortez. The other thing we need to look at and, you know, face the reality is that we've got 240-ish empty homes on Cortez. So, you know, I, sp I speak to a lot of homeowners that, that don't want to rent their house out because they're scared. They're worried about, you know, renters not paying their rent, wrecking their place, uh, not being able to get them out eventually. That's really common amongst a lot of people. And I, I get it. You know, I think the, the BC NDP legislation to strengthen the rights of, of renters is great. And when you look at it, generally, it's a great thing. But it's at the same time, it's sort of decreased the housing supply because people are just are scared to enter into those agreements. So I think we need to look at ways to mitigate the risk for <clears throat> homeowners to be able to rent to people. And one of my ideas that, that I'm exploring is, is some sort of intermediary agency that could take that risk away and provide a service for property owners where, you know, a percentage of the rent would cover the administration costs of that intermediary agency taking on the risk of those renters in terms of, you know, places getting wrecked or damaged deposits and, and, and getting rent paid. So I think that's one other thing that could be done pretty quickly because the housing's already built and not everyone's going to want to rent their house out no matter what. Something else I'm looking at is, you know, the potential of, of you know, people have a, like large mansions on Cortez and it's empty for, for 10 months of the year. I don't think it makes sense for them to necessarily rent it out to somebody, but I think it's reasonable for us to, to ask for, you know, some sort of tax that would, would help get housing built on Cortez. And I think it would need to be like a made on Cortez solution because you know in cities of vancouver that have done sort of empty homes tax it's really focused on people condo flipping and whereas here it's different so as a community how creative can we get with things like an empty home tax i mean can we come up with algorithms that not only factor in the value of the property but also the size of the home the number of weeks out of the year that it's unoccupied uh that kind of thing no, not that's not something that, that we can decide. So BC government is is the one who decides how properties are taxed and and collects that. I think that's the, the scary thing with taxes. There are a lot of people on Cortez that are, you know, been here twenty years, have a you know great piece of property and you know, are, are land rich but are still struggling to pay their taxes. So I think that's a reality we have to admit and 
you know, me being in government, being someone who's kind of brand new and naive and, and super optimistic and like, let's get things done. Yeah, I want to talk about the bigger issues and like, you know, think about our society and not just not just the framework of, of the regional district, but what are the things that make sense politically to do and that are smart, that are working in other places, that help the people that need to be helped, that are taxing in a way that's that's reasonable for folks and that people can afford and and making progress. A lot of people kind of have a knee-jerk reaction that like, I'm getting screwed here. And there's a lot of people in Cortez that can't afford more taxes. I recognize that and see it and understand it. And, you know, as a society, I think it's, we need to re-examine the way that we do tax and, and look at adjusting the tax model so that it's more equitable. So people who can't afford taxes are paying less and people who can you know, afford taxes are paying more and you're you know, bringing in the same amount, but you're doing it in a more equitable way. I think that's you know, something to, to look at. You know, for a lot of these things, I can't just snap my fingers and make them happen. But the, the thing that I want to do is make sure that we're not taxing folks that can't afford it and making reasonable steps that are they're asking folks that are that can't afford it to, to chip in for housing on Cortez especially given that they're on Cortez for a couple months a year and have an empty house there the other thing i'm thinking about is is you know what are some sort of blanket stuff that we can do that can open up potential more housing on Cortez you know right now you're allowed you know your main house in a 650 square foot secondary cabin on your property one of the things i'm i'm thinking about is you know are there a certain category of property where you know we just do a blanket rezoning that, that people could have a third tiny home on their on their property another another cabin with with maybe an even smaller size limit yeah you know all these things i'm talking about it's not like this is going to happen this is the things i'm thinking about i've been thinking about housing for you know a year now specifically as in this role well there's um there's an elephant in the room here and we're not going to get through this conversation without talking about it as i understood it the last time i checked on it there were about 60 hotel room equivalents in Airbnb on the island. So that was 60 inhabitable spaces that were not in the local long-term residential rental market. I think I saw a statistic that we have 97 short-term rentals on Cortez. And there's certainly an argument. I've heard that we need to ban short-term rentals. We need to ban Airbnbs. And I I don't think that's the solution. I think we need to recognize that that it's an important part of our economy and a lot of folks rely on that, but also look look at other ways that incentivize property owners to have long-term rentals on their property. And, you know, the reality is that locals can't compete with tourists. And and that's for for housing purchases, but also, you know, for people who want to rent out their cabin and make, you know, $15,000 in a hundred days or something compared to renting it out and making 12,000 over 10 months and, and having to struggle with a tenant. And, you know, the other side of things, which we haven't really talked about at all is, is affordable land ownership. You know, I think, I think that's like the other picture, the other elephant in the room, especially according to the housing survey where the average person on Cortez can afford a $209,000 mortgage. And at the time, the average listing was 794. So it's like almost four times the difference. Locals can't compete with tourists. So, so being able to find ways to make land purchases affordable for locals, people who've been living here for 10, 20 years, have a family, paying rent for a long time, could afford a mortgage, but there isn't the, that accessibility. And looking at Siskin Lane, I think that was sort of the last sort of biggest impact on, on really making land affordable for, for locals to be able to purchase. So I think we need to look at ways to incentivize affordable land selling. There isn't a lot of rezoning that has happened on Cortez, subdivisions. I think we need to look at models that allow subdivisions to happen in appropriate ways that has the support of the community and is providing affordable land 
for folks. It's again, it's a complicated thing, and and I think we need to look away from housing or, and homes as an investment and move it more towards that it's it's something that our community needs in order to thrive. And if we don't make room for for families to settle down here and and young people and to to have permanent homes here, we're going to be moving more towards a retirement community over the next 20, 30 years. And, you know, I think that's the dilemma that Cortez faces. Are we just, are we going to go the route of some other places where we, you know, we subdivide and sell off to the highest bidder and, and 20 years later, it's, there's no dishwashers for the restaurants, builders to build the houses. And, you know, the things that we love about Cortez, the culture and the young people and the, the families and this being a place that's vibrant and, and intergenerational, we're going to lose that. So I think now is the time for us to make some strategic direction for our community, for us to come together, see the humanity in each other and, and, and find some solutions that I can really champion. We touched on the reality that it can be slow and difficult working on housing issues at the provincial level. Do you see possibilities for for local, for citizen initiatives to get something happening faster here? So the fastest way to get housing built and in the market is not to do it through government funding. And one of the beauties of, I think, of Cortez is that we have wealthier folks in the island that want to contribute to making this place better and that have the means and have the values to, to contribute. So I think if we, if we can come up with a plan, if we can get you know very simple tiny houses, 10 of them or something for 200 grand, let's say, I think that's could be raised locally. If finding the land to put it on, that's the tricky part. If it's a private piece of land, we need to figure out ways to get around the insurance and, and the, the zoning to make that possible. I, I think it's all possible, but it's it's us, you know, really sitting down and, and looking how it could happen. Is there somebody who has a piece of land that they want to donate to make this happen? Are there folks that want to, you know, actually help purchase these simple places? And can we convince the, the government? And can we adjust things so that the insurance and the zoning makes it work as well? All these things are possible. It's the question of whether there's political will to do it. And that's part of my job is to figure that out and talk to people and not just like rush into rush into things without, you know, full consideration. It's, you know, understanding where Cortez is at, what people on Cortez want, where the political will is to make things happen, and, and exploring solutions that, that have worked or had, had an impact in other communities. So here's a question, and it's one that I certainly don't have an answer to, but it's a question that I think is going to come up, especially as we talk about providing more housing for people, there's bound to be somebody out there who's going to say, well, if we provide more housing, then more people will come here. And how do we know when we've reached some kind of limit of what's a livable community? What happens if our ferry service gets so bad that it's completely dysfunctional? Or how much is it going to cost for hydro to upgrade our service because there's so many customers here? Um, You see what I mean? There must be some kind of sustainable optimal size for a community on a remote island like ours. How do we know when we've reached it? Housing, I'm focusing on on people that are already here. I think that's the first step, and I think that has the support of the majority of Cortesians, rather than like you know trying to grow our population and, and do like some kind of big jump that way. We need to start by just looking at the, the housing challenges for the people that are already here. The folks that could afford to buy land, but there's nothing available to them. The folks that can afford market rent, but there's nothing available to them. And the folks that, that are going to need housing that's, that's below market. And starting with the people here, I feel confident that there's the strong mandate 
to, to start there. And then, you know, yeah, we do need to look at environmental footprint and what would it mean to, to grow more, but that's not what I'm focused on. So in terms of provision of more affordable housing, you're thinking of something like a seniority system, almost, giving priority to people who have been here a while, who are long-time community members. I'm not going to put a ton of time into providing housing for, for new folks to, to move here. I think there's a little bit of that, that that would be useful as we grow. But my focus is the people that are already struggling that are living here. The families that would love to be able to buy a $150,000 chunk of land that they can you know, build a cabin on and, and, and make their life here. That's, that's my priority, and I think it's the best place to start as well. We were talking earlier about some positive changes that you see at SRD. Do you see any changes coming in how Campbell River approaches their homelessness crisis? To date, uh, from where I sit, they seem to be focused more on managing homelessness than solving homelessness. They seem to be investing more in policing and control, almost punishing homeless people for being visible. Campbell River's homelessness challenges are very different than Cortez's. That's, I think, the first thing that people need to know. And and the approaches are probably going to have to be different. And one of the realities that Campbell River is facing is that there is, there is violent crime and, and folks that do need policing. You know, I don't think policing is the solution to homelessness, but I also recognize that, you know, safety is important to folks. And, you know, the police are part of it, but it, it's not the solution. You know, I think the average salary for a police officer is like a hundred grand. You know, is is that the best way to spend money? I think the best investments in solving or handling homelessness is is providing homes for people, getting them the supports that they need, so that they can be more productive members of society. I think it's a kind of our responsibility as a society, and I also think that it's better for everyone. It's good for everybody if if folks have a stable, safe place to live. That's one of my values, my feelings. So, you know, ultimately that's that's what needs to happen for homeless people. So I'm not really in a position, I don't feel like to, to say, you know, Campbell River, this is what exactly you should do. Their challenges are different than ours. My job is to focus on making action happen on Cortez, but also being part of the team at the regional district that's that's helping everybody get done what they need to do. Well, we'll, we'll leave Campbell River to find their own solutions. But meanwhile, here on Cortez, What's your feeling about public opinion on this? Do you think as a community we're ready to start taking some action? People want housing addressed and they want they want to find solutions. I know people are really passionate about the issue. Leading up to, to becoming the regional director, it was the number one issue. Whether someone sort of leaned right or left in the political spectrum, everybody cares about and everybody understands that, it, that we need to do something. And what I'm interested in doing is, is figuring out the very specific things that, that has the majority of Cortez support to, to do. One of the things I want to do early in 2023 is have a housing summit. I'm imagining it, you know, one, one day or one evening we have landowners come together. We have conversations and we, you know, we look at the issue and we present some things that other communities have done and, and get feedback and, and also do an evening for renters, for folks that are renting houses and, and you'll have those similar sort of conversations and then, and then bring people together. Well, that summit meeting sounds like a great idea. And until that, that summit actually takes place... Are there ways that people can get in touch with you and and let you know what they think about these issues? One of the things that I'm I'm also doing is is the real youth office. I'm gonna I'm changing that over so it's gonna be half real youth and half regional director. So I'm gonna have office hours at Manson's Hall and and ways for people to sit down with me personally and you know 
chat in person, which I think is important. I love in-person meetings. And so that that's going to hopefully open up a new avenue for people to connect with me. I have about 300 people on my mailing list so far, folks that have visited my website, corteztogether.com. So people can go there and, and there's a form that they can fill in their information and also, you know, tell me what they care about. I need to hear from people. You know, if you haven't signed up to my website yet, if you haven't reached out, I'd love if you could. I've just got my regional district phone number and email address, so I can be reached at mvonesch, V-O-N-E-S-C-H, at srd.ca. And my phone number, which you can text or call, is 250-202-4422. Well, you've been listening to a conversation with Mark Vanesh, our new regional director, about the issues of housing and homelessness and how they affect Cortez Island, and some ideas that Mark has for practical responses. I'd like to thank Mark for taking the time to be interviewed and invite listeners to use that contact information to get in touch with Mark and let him know what you think about housing on Cortez Island. Just a reminder, the views and opinions heard on this program are not endorsed by Cortez Community Radio, its board, its staff, its membership, or any granting agency, but are those of the writer, producer, and guests. As always, thanks for listening.